This podcast is brought to you by Work Matters, helping you discover God's purpose for your work. To find out our Heavenly Father's unique purpose for your work life, head to workmatters.org, workmatters.org. Thanks for tuning in to I Work For Him this afternoon as we broadcast you from Rancho Mirage, California. At this point in time, you have heard a ton of great interviews from us here in Rancho Mirage. What an incredible opportunity it's been made possible through a collaboration with FCCI and Convene. Check them out online, FCCI.org and ConveneNow.com. We're on location at the 2018 International Summit, a gathering of Christ followers who desire to live out their faith in their work while pursuing excellence. Today on the first half of the show, we're going to be talking with David and Beth Collum. These guys, you've heard about their ministry that they're involved in because you hear us talk about it all the time. And every time Martha's dad calls into the show, we're talking about Pocket Testament League. And these guys have a story I want you to hear. And as we sh- as we have them share it, we also plan on having them share it with all the people that are part of their organization and around the world. David and Beth, welcome to I Work For Him. It's great to be here, Jim. Thanks for having us. Thank you. you know, it's a lot of fun. David, to get a little face-to-face time, because you're like trying to chase down the most popular. I mean, it's like trying to get some Saudi prince on the radio. I mean, you guys, <laughs> you, you travel more than most people I know, and you're, you're a busy guy. I, I want to just start, as we always do with every guest on the show, just share how you became a Jesus follower. And Beth, I'm going to let you go first, because ladies first. Well, thank you. So I grew up in a Christian home. I had wonderful Christian parents, and I remember vividly when I was five years old, kneeling down in my bedroom, we had bunk beds, my sister and mm-hmm. I, and I remember kneeling down in front of our bunk beds with my mom and asking Jesus to come into my heart. Um, now, certainly when I was a teenager, I wanted to push the boundaries and explore a little bit. And um, thankfully, God gave my parents the patience to continue to just pray for me. I have wonderful memories Um of my dad every morning, he would get up at five o'clock and I knew that he was down in his chair reading his Bible and praying for us. So um, God answered those prayers and blessed him. And both my sister and I um, are walking with the Lord and um, have Christian faith because of the faith of our parents. Hmm. Fantastic. Um, David, what about you? How did you come to be a Jesus follower? Yeah, not quite as a straight a line. So, um, <laughs> That's was, okay. Yeah, I was raised in a Roman Catholic uh, home. My parents uh, just loved us. And so went to church every Sunday and kind of had an image of God as having a clipboard, a piece of paper on it with a list of mm-hmm. all the offenses. And on the top of that piece of paper was my name. And he kind of checked off those offenses mm-hmm. on a times daily a basis. Day, yeah, Several times a day. Yeah. yeah. So graduated college and went into the corporate world and, you know, companies know how to motivate you. They say, Hey, here's the things you're doing well. And here's the things you could do better. And that just kind of merged with my faith. You know, my faith was performance based mm. and, uh, and I failed every day at it. And, uh, so at the, what was then the peak of my career, uh, sitting in the Pittsburgh airport with, uh, one of my employees, I was a plant manager of a nuclear power plant, 28 years old, sitting with an employee. And I said to him, how do you do this? And he goes, how do you do what? He had two boys the same age as mine, worked in the same place. The only difference was he had a boss. That was me. That wasn't the best boss. And I just, how do you do this? How do you have peace? And he said to me, do you really want to know? And I said, yeah. And he said, yeah, no, I don't think you do. And he got up and walked away. I chased after him in a Pittsburgh airport. He's not a sales guy. So the salespeople listen to us thinking, the guy's brilliant. No, he's an right. engineer. He's <laughs> an engineer. Sure. Yeah, it wasn't a tactic. Yeah, it was not a tactic. He was counting the cost because he had to tell me truth about myself. And so I was led to Jesus, to know Jesus in a Pittsburgh airport. 
by a man out of the marketplace. We're at FCCI conference. I love marketplace ministry because that's how I came to know the Lord. And it was one of your employees. It was an employee. But but his life had shown you there was something different about him. And you asked him that question. We're the same age. We have each have two sons. We work in the same nuclear power plant. He's got a demanding boss. Everything's the same except he's got peace. And he and here's the deal. Some people think, you know, okay, Christ followers are mediocre, right? He was excellent at his job. Mm. Excellent at his job. You look at him, you're like, I want, you know, I want that. I want to be, I want to be excellent at my job and I want to have that peace. Hmm. I, I love that because we talk about that all the time as part of the I Work For Him Nation, that one of the things, you know, we need to commit to being change agents in our workplace by praying for people by name each and every day, looking for ways to serve them, looking for ways to befriend them, looking for ways to pray with them. But none of that matters if we're not people of excellence in our jobs, that Christ followers in their position should be the number one people in their position in the company. And so that that's I love that story because that's an I work for him story, because that guy's testimony led you to the Lord. Do you ever go back and thank him? I mean, we're, we're, you know, we're probably not 30 years later. We're pretty close. I mean, have you ever gone back and go, do you know how you've impacted the hundreds of millions of people because of your story? So he's a great, a great brother in Christ. And, uh, you know, he stays in our story for a while because that night when I got home, we were, we were fogged in at Pittsburgh airport when the fog lifted and I got home, uh, that night, um, I laid down next to my, my wife and she said, I want a divorce. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds like a made-for-TV movie kind of thing, yeah. but literally... Well, the bed wasn't burning, so that would yeah, make yeah. made-for-TV. But the yeah. same night. Yeah, five hours yeah. after accepting the Lord. And right. so, God had a lot of work to do in me, and uh, that marriage, you know, failed. And so, um, you know, he walked with me through through my divorce and uh, had me over for Sunday lunch one day. And he had a, a woman over for Sunday lunch to meet with another young man. Uh, that woman's sitting next to me in this interview. <laughs> Didn't work out so good for the other guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the guy that led you to the Lord introduced you to your to Beth. No, that was well. I met Beth at his house. It was not his intention <laughs> to do that. Okay, uh, well, might yeah. have been God's intention. But his yeah. obedience right, right? to having Beth in the house. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so we still you know know each other. He he watched my walk and. So I was in the corporate world for 25 years and at age 47, you know, quit my job. Basically, I could say it nicer. Like I resigned from my position to my profession. But uh, at that point, I was had a really good job. I was uh, at a a vice president level um, in a Lockheed Martin company. Mm -hmm. And uh, but God was just calling my heart. I love the people I worked with, but I was losing my passion. My passion was for men's ministry at the time. My passion was for all these men you know, who are doing their, going to work every day. I mean, they're not out carousing, you know, they're not trying to mess up their marriages. Right. But they don't know the Lord. And you look at them and you're like, you know, I don't know my kids. I don't know my wife. I'm working 60 hours a week. You know, I'm kind of caught up in this. I don't know how to get off the treadmill. So, you know, that whole men's ministry movie that was kind of movement that was blown out in the, in the nineties really, sure. really caught my heart and just kind of led me out of the corporate world into the pastorate. All right. So going back to you, Beth, so you guys met over food, which that's always great. It's always great to meet over food. Talk to us about your side of that perspective. So I was a, a, a single woman. Um, I, my career is in uh, teaching high school math, high school and college level math. I'd been a teacher for a while and I moved um, to the to the New York area where David was was working at his nuclear power plant and was in the church that my parents were in and my sister was in 
And the, the guy that um, led him to the Lord was also in that church. He let's give that guy family. kudos. So let's tell his name. Come on. John. 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 Okay. John. John. Way so to go, John. John. John was in this church. And they, there was another young man in the church. His name is Phil. Uh, single guy, really nice guy. And they thought, wouldn't it be great if Beth and Phil got together? <laughs> so they invited us all over for Sunday dinner after church. And we were going to. Um, I guess I'll play football after after dinner or something like that. And then they invited David. You know, he was lonely and I'm crying. the divorce guy who can't cook. Like sit in a corner and eat your meal. Just yeah. like, don't because we're doing some <laughs> matchmaking. There's some matchmaking yeah. going on yeah. over here, but yeah. just stay out of the way. Yeah. 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 So so you know, their intention was filling filling me to you know sit down and have a wonderful conversation. And somehow. I ended up sitting next to David and we got talking. Now I'm a math person and he's an engineer person right. and we had lots to talk about and, and really struck up a conversation. Phil was also an engineer person, worked at the same company that David was working at, but for some reason it just, uh, you know, obviously God yes. had, had different intentions. So, uh, but yeah, it was, it was a, <laughs> a humorous um, so, except for, for poor Phil. But, when you, you know. when you got yeah. married to David, did you ever think you'd become a pastor's wife? <laughs> uh, no. Um, so my dad, um, would really in all those prayers, I think mm-hmm. some, somehow he had an idea <laughs> that maybe I would be a good woman to be a pastor's wife. And I really didn't share that intention. <laughs> so I married an engineer, mm-hmm. um, but yeah. Um, in the process in our church that we um, that we were raised up in, the the spouse of someone who's interested in becoming a pastor has to write a letter of support, which I think is a great idea. You don't want to do this if your spouse is not on board with you being in the ministry. Mm-hmm. That's not a good way to start. And my letter said, "I know the story of Jonah. If God's calling you to go one way and you try to go the other way." It does. There's some hardship in there. You can check them out online, ptl.org. Why don't we just pick up that story? So you're you you're writing a letter of recommendation to your letter of church, support. Letter of support, and you're comparing your husband to Jonah. No, well, I'm comparing myself to Jonah. Right. Uh, I needed to support him in God's call on his life, and my response was kind of. I don't really want to do this, but, um, and I know I, I had, had been exposed to lots of pastors. My family, my parents had lots of friends who were pastors in the mm-hmm. ministry. It's not easy. So oh, no. I knew that. Toughest job and, on the planet yeah, next to being and, a single mom. Yep. And so I knew being a pastor's wife is not easy either. And so I, th- uh, but I also know the story of Jonah. If yes. God is calling you this way, you you go. And if you run the other direction, he'll turn you around. Could be a little ugly. Yeah. The transition be tough. David, you were mentioning that the process of starting to date Beth, which we're talking years, we're, we're already way down the road from that yeah. 26 years later, but it was a little bit interesting. Yeah. I want to give a shout out to single women here. Right. So after, uh, you know, I had lunch with, with Beth, I wanted to, to date her. So I said, you know, would you be interested in going on a date? She said, I'd be interested in interested in having a meeting. <laughs> so we had, that's very logical. So we had a meeting. Um, you know, I'm still a relatively new Christian. You heard she's been walking with the Lord since she's five. She wanted to make sure a few things. And again, ladies just hear this. She wanted to make sure I understood that we weren't dating just to have a good time. This was a courtship to see if God was calling us to be married. Mm. 
And so she kind of unpacked that just to make sure I explicitly knew what, what the expectation was for this. And then she said, uh, by the way, do you tithe? Because I only date men who tithe. And you're like, what's a tithe? What's, what's a tithe? She explained that to me. I asked her net versus gross. She said, you want his net blessings or his gross blessings? <laughs> you decide. I love you, Beth. That's fantastic. <laughs> next, next, Sunday, next Sunday, I'm all in. You're writing your tithe I check. I write my tithe check. I get called on Monday from the church secretary. She says, Mr. Calm, I think you sent us your mortgage payment by mistake. I'm a plant manager of a nuclear power plant. I'm all in. I explained to her, no, I'm now following the biblical mandate of tithing. She says, uh, what's tithing? So I explained it to her. She says, I'll have the pastor call you. He never called. He just kept, you know, so he was. <laughs> He's like the check. So, he wasn't going to screw that yeah, up. Yeah, so I don't want to re-correct anything <laughs> so, there. Right. I don't want to run out of time. That's a great story. We great. could just We could just we do a whole show. We might need to do a, a marriage well, show sometime. Yes, that would be yeah. fun. You guys would come tell a story on our next marriage retreat. That'd be a good one. Okay. So fast forward. You spend time in the pastorate, but today you're at the Pocket Testament League. And the Pocket Testament League is 140 years old, almost 140. What, what is exactly what is it? 125 years old, 140 million presentations of the gospel. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So started by the Cadbury family, started by the daughter of Mr. Cadbury, the chocolate company. And, and we've talked about that story many, many times on the air. You, how did the Lord lead you to, to be the representatives, to be the, the, the privileged leader of the Pocket Testament League here all, that represents the Pocket Testament of the Gospel of John all over the world? Yeah, it's great. It's a great privilege. It's very humbling. So we were in the pastorate for 12 years and uh, I, I love the word of God. I just love the word of God. And so I was in a mainline Protestant church, you know, and they're, they're wrestling with their identity and they're wrestling with who the person of Jesus is and the authority of the word of God. And you know, I came to know the Lord late. I'm a business guy. I'm probably a little bit in, intense. And so I'm not wrestling with the authority of the word of God. And so, you know, we labored for, for 12 years and it just became really obvious that it was time for us to move on. So we resigned without a job, resigned, resigned from the pastorate without a job. Um, so now Beth's going, really? First I marry a guy who's an engineer. Then he quits a nuclear power plant job. Then he becomes a pastor. Then he quits a job without having a job. What did I sign up for? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we prayed about that. <laughs> well, at least prayed about it together. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. So, um, you know, you're going through interview processes and you're saying, Lord, I want to, I want to be in your will. People always say, gee, are you happy? And I'm like, yeah, you know, it's, it's about being in his will. It's about being obedient. I know that sounds like the right religious answer, but you know, you try to be intentional about it. And so there are some people who were great supporters of ours, uh, knew our hearts. And they said, what do you think about this job? And I looked at it and I thought, yeah, I'm a pastor. I've already changed careers once already. I'm not interested again. And, uh, we applied to lots of churches and they would say things, they would give us all sorts of reasons about why, you know, I was always number two or something. And we just kind of thought, mm -hmm. well, and the folks at the Baca Testament said, we think God's prepared you for this. You've been in business for 25 years. Right. The business community just loves on us. We love the business community. You love the word of God. This was, you know, and now guess what? You have a singular job mm. to share the word of God, to share the gospel of John with the world. So for, for them, they were able to draw a straight line. Like, do you get this? Yeah. And we're like, oh, now that you say it that way. <laughs> <laughs> so Beth, what about for you? That was a pretty big leap. It was, uh, but I guess as, as David has shared, we really prayed and felt God calling us our time at the church that we were at was done. Um, our, we had faithfully, David had faithfully shared the gospel mm -hmm. Sunday after Sunday. And we had a lady who at the end of church would say, 
do you have to preach about Jesus every Sunday? Wow. Um, so, you know, it, we had done it. Right. And um, it, our time was over. And I also, I guess I just am a person who says the Lord's going to answer our prayer. We're praying, Lord, where do you want us? Mm-hmm. And in his time, he'll, he'll say here. And we just kind of felt this is it. Here it is. It's completely different. Um, but it, but it's where, where the Lord, I share where the Lord wants us to be right now. And so let's talk about that. So what is your role at the pocket Testament league and how is God using you in it? Yeah. Thanks for that question. It, um, my, you know, my role as, as president and CEO is we've got this organization and people say, well, what's this organization? It really is to inspire Christians to share God's word. And so people so often think of us as an evangelism ministry, right? Because here's this gospel of John going out. We have great stories about how people come to know the Lord by reading his word or just even being handed a gospel. Sure. But the person doing the handing is one of tens of thousands. And we've had 600,000 people say, hey, would you help us do this in the last eight, nine years? Just help us share the gospel. So our ministry really is uh, twofold. One, to kind of build up, encourage, equip for folks who, who want to evangelize, who want to be evangelists. And I think at a more fundamental level, our role, my role, I've really been convicted of this is to encourage Christians to believe what it says in Isaiah 55, that God's word does not return void. I really feel like in the last year, more and more, I'm just privileged to kind of be an ambassador for God's word, which is under attack. You know, God's word is under attack. The authority of scripture is under attack. The truthfulness of it's under attack. And so I spend lots of time talking to Christians about, like, do we really believe this? Are we acting like we believe this? You know, and so that, that's what I do. Beth, how do you feel about your role being the wife of the CEO of the Pocket Testament? Are you still teaching high school today? I am not. No. So you no. get? Do you get to travel with David as he travels all over the world? I, I do. Yes, I that's do. That's awesome. So you guys um, get to be together. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, David. So I just want to give a shout out to the board of directors. Right, the board knows yeah. how much I travel, and we have a great board. I love these. Love these. Uh, people. And they said, we want your wife to travel with you. Your marriage is important. Mm-hmm. You know, talk about getting loved on by your board. Wise counsel from these guys. Well, so it's, just a shout out to them. It's gotta be the way as much time as you're on the road. If you didn't have your wife, you, <laughs> Beth, she could have a whole nother career, have a whole nother house. You'd never even know because you're gone on the road so much. So fantastic. Praise God right. for a board like that. It's right. fantastic. Yeah. All right. So talk about I mean, the, the power of the gospel of John. I mean, the pocket testament that was You've got so many new things going on in the Pocket Testament League, and there's so much we can't cover in this you know, last couple of minutes of the show. What do you want people to know about the Pocket Testament League today? Mm-hmm. So the phrase I use is that the world is crying out for the word of God. It just is. We in America, especially kind of in the Christian America, you know, how many Bibles do we all have on our shelves at home? And we just think, yeah, this is everywhere. Um, not so across the world. Um, people are just crying out for the word of God. So, and even in America, we've had this big push this summer. Hey, could we do this 500,000 times this summer in America? And we're wrapping that up half a million. And people wow. are like, thank you. When you, we hand them a gospel of John, they say, thank you. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Beth. The other thing I would add to that is I think giving a gospel has a double blessing. It blesses the person that you give it to, and it asks them to consider Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. Savior, it blesses the person who gives. You have, uh, you are blessed. The Lord blesses you and encourages you as you give this to someone else. 
it 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 in, it just encourages you that you are participating in the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. one gospel at a time, one person to one person. And David, you've got programs now that can customize the covers of the pocket testaments. You've got thousands of regular covers and they can customize and have business names on them, ministry names on them. You've got so many different ways to package these together. What's the best way to get a hold of the Pocket Testament League? Yeah, www.ptl.org. That's the best way. PTL.org. There's so much of your story, and, and we're just going to have to capture it the next time when you guys come back and I work for him. Maybe we come to your headquarters. We're trying to do a northeast run, and we are in New York, sort of northeast. We'll get that done. But David and Beth Collum, thank you guys for being on I Work for him this afternoon. Hey, thanks. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Please check them out online. PTL.org. PTL.org. Get signed up. Buy a set of pocket testaments. Give them away. Get another set. Buy a set, give a set, buy a set, give a set, ptl.org. You listen to I Work For Him as we broadcast you from Rancho Mirage, California, courtesy of FCCI and Convene. Check them out online, fcci.org and convenenow.com. We're on location at the 2018 International Summit, a gathering of Christ followers who desire to live out their faith in their work while pursuing excellence. Today on the second half of the show, we're talking with Henry Kastner. He's a name you may have heard of before, and if you haven't, you're going to want to hear about it after we're done. He's involved in several things, and you, this is not the last time you're going to hear from Henry Kastner right here And I Work For Him. Henry Kastner, welcome to I Work For Him. It is awesome being with you. What a special honor, privilege, and blessing. Thank you. All right, so tell us your story. We want to hear your story. How did you come to be a Jesus follower? Oh, that's a great one. Uh, so I grew up in a nominally Christian home. Uh, we went to church, but it was a very liberal church, and I never heard of the gospel. I um, Uh, fell in love with entrepreneurship while I was at college and then saw the movie Wall Street uh, and wanted to be Bud Fox, which is a very, uh, not a good thing when Charlie Sheen is your first role model. (laughs) Went and worked on Wall Street and pursued uh, uh, fame, really, fame and money and and dating and all the different things that are trash for so many people and really effectively ran away from God. And to be to be candid, I never really had that close a relationship with Jesus because I never really knew him. Uh, but at age 28, uh, Kimberly and I, my wife and I, decided that we wanted to raise a family. We we're going to get married. We we're going to raise a family. And we thought that the thing that good Christ followers or good people did rather was join a church. It's kind of a moral mm-hmm. social country club type of thing. And so we went into a church and the guy there was preaching the gospel. And uh, it threw me for a complete loop. I couldn't understand how this guy who's confident, articulate, and intelligent actually believed that the Bible was true. Mm-hmm. Just that part didn't make sense to me. And so um, it, it came to me like this. Uh, and really, was, of course, the Holy Spirit working in my life. I thought, gosh, I could get up to heaven. And St. Peter's there for the entrance interview. And he says, all right, Gaysner, you're on earth for however many years. You read like a thousand books. And you never cracked the cover of the best-selling book of all time. Can't let you in. I thought, oh my goodness, can I go down like that? So I went, I got a Bible. And uh, as you all know, of course, and as I now know, the Bible's got a lot of pages. Yes, it does. 1,500 plus or minus. Yep. And uh, I got through prep school by reading the cliff notes of all the great classics. <laughs> and so I knew enough about the Christian faith to know that the New Testament, the part in the back that looked like the cliff notes, might be something I could kind of tackle. So read through it. And actually, the first time reading through it, it took me further away from faith. 
because the Christian faith has elements of it, of course, that are exclusive and even offensive. Mm. And I thought, wait a second, isn't it kind of faith is kind of like that elephant where you know somebody touches the, the trunk and, the, and you know how that illustration works. And I thought that there are multiple ways to God. Uh, but when I came to understand that actually there's a very welcoming invitation for all of us, and yet it's a narrow gate. That threw me off, but it was in reading through it a second time that I think the Holy Spirit was working through me and it was just like, you know, you can't make this stuff up. And if it's true, it changes everything. That's how I came to Christ. Wow. So it was an intellectual journey and the Holy Spirit intersected that international, that uh, intellectual journey. Yes. As intellectual as a non-intellectual can muster. Yeah. I wouldn't put you in that non-intellectual category. So you and Kimberly, you met before you knew Jesus. Yes. And, and how did you guys find Jesus together or who followed who? Oh, that's a great question. So, um, the answer, the last answer, to the last part is neither. And here's how it went down. We'd been having this discussion about who has it right. Our liberal faith tradition, the church we came into, uh, that we had grown up with, she'd grown up in the Dutch Reformed Church, again, very liberal uh, mm-hmm. church. And then, uh, or do these new people have it right? No, one way, because these people think that the Bible is actually true and that there's only one way. Mm-hmm. And so who's got it right? And so we wrestled with that for about a year and a half. Uh, I didn't even take communion for the first year and a half because I didn't, you know, the pastor would say, listen, if you don't believe that Jesus is the, mm-hmm. the, the light and the truth and the life and the way, don't take this. It'll be dangerous. So I didn't even take communion at church, but it was coming back from church one day that I looked over her and I said, these people have it right. And she said, I know I made that decision two weeks ago. So wow. that was 1998. I'd like that. to think we're better at communicating life-changing decisions <laughs> real time, but that's how it went down. And what state were you in at that time? North Carolina. You were in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Is that where you still are? No, no. I live in Northern California. Wow. Is Kimberly with you? She is. Good. Okay. Oh, well, I mean, like not right here, right now with me, but I mean, I yes, we're said. still well, you, very much you married. Said, I live in Northern California. <laughs> like, okay, oh, yes. was on the eye. So we're like, well, where does Kimberly live? <laughs> oh, I follow. I follow. Yes. <laughs> All right. So at what point in time? Yes. Okay. So you, you, you came to Christ as an adult. You already were a business guy. Talk to us about how the Lord then, as, as you were discipled, how did you learn that your work should be intricately connected to your faith? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think this is the case for a lot of adult converts where it becomes very black and white and everything is all about this new faith. I mean, I saw the world in a completely new way mm. and it was impossible for me to compartmentalize things. I mean, I had just seen this amazing thing and it was going to change my life forever. So I never took my faith for granted early on. And sometimes now, unfortunately, I do, and I'm not as intentional about it as I'd like to. We all go through ups and downs. But in the first couple of years, it's actually very, very clear to me that there was a new way. Uh, there's a new purpose to my life, and it needed to incorporate everything. I couldn't look at the work I was doing before. I had a financial derivatives company, and there are some aspects of the client entertainment that were just completely out of line with this new faith that I had. And for me, it became very black and white. Couldn't do that anymore. So uh, I sold that company and then started up a new telecom company called Bandwidth with a partner who became my best friend, a guy named David Markin. We started a company called Bandwidth. And at Bandwidth, uh, we sat down and we said, you know, we want to be really intentional about our culture. 
This is, this is, I uh, did let you know the time. This is late nineties, 2000, 2001. And it was all about corporate culture. Mm-hmm. I, when I worked on wall street or wore a suit and tie to work every single day, and it's just you know, kind of the dress code. And that was the time. Then all of a sudden you could start wearing flip flops to work. And all of a sudden there were ping pong tables Yeah, and culture was bean a big chairs. deal. <laughs> yeah. And being back chairs and those things. And I said, and, and culture to be clear was a big part of the success I'd had at the prior company. So I sat down with him. I said, look, Let's be intentional about culture. Uh, And he said, that's great. I'm up for that. But it has to be what we want out of our own lives. So uh, remember where we were at dinner when we talked about it? It was going to be faith first, then family, then work, and then fitness. And so from the very beginning of bandwidth, those were the foundational values. And as a new believer, it made all the sense in the world to incorporate this newfound faith in the business. So how did that, how did God take that? So where did bandwidth go? I mean, you started off right during the dot-com crash. I mean, so yes. you, you started off right at the most horrible time ever to yes. start a business. Did it last? It did. It did. So you it made did. it. Okay. Yes. No, through the grace of God, um, we, uh, bandwidth and, um, and a company we spun off called Republic Wireless have thrived and flourished. Republic Wireless uh, invents uh, really, really cool technology devices to include the relay device. Think of a, a cell phone marrying a walkie-talkie and having a baby, and that's a relay device for parents who want to be able to communicate with their kids but don't want to give them a screen yet. Yeah. And then uh, we've got a mobile... It should be anybody up to like 21. They shouldn't have a screen. Well, or I'm 48, 41, so you should probably yeah. take this away yeah. from me too. But, yeah. Um, the... Um, uh, so that's one of the things it does, and it's a mobile operator. So we we sell to hundreds of thousands of uh, consumers across the country, mm-hmm. and that's a, a private company. And then we also have a public company, a company we took bandwidth public in November. It trades on the NASDAQ. And through the grace of God, it's flourished. It's done really well. It's got um, a great following. is a lot of great financial success to the glory of God. What does it do? I mean, bandwidth, what does it do? Yeah. Uh, so great question. So um, at the simplest we're in telecom. Uh, we're a competitive exchange, local exchange carrier, uh, but we're a network operator. Think about telecom is all about origination and termination. So you originate the call through a phone number that sits on a network, and then you terminate the call in the other place. And you probably are familiar with the concept of long distance minutes. Sure. Well, we don't, we don't do that part, but we do the origination part. So we serve up phone numbers and allow companies to be able to have the software to be able to incorporate phone numbers into their offerings. So uh, we power uh, 12 different products within Google. We work with Microsoft. We work with pretty much uh, many of... I won't say all because that's not true, but many of the high-end technology firms that incorporate phone numbers into their product offerings. Think about when you go and get a a, a car service through a shared service and they go ahead and you can call them. Well, we put up that phone number. So uh, well north of 50 million phone numbers in service. And it's been a great business with a great team. Uh, between the two companies, we have just about 1,000 employees sure. and um, and the foundational values remain the same. Uh, faith first, family, work, and fitness. And I was just going to ask you that you've been you have incorporated that culture in the many different um, ventures that you've had. Sure. So you yeah. have, and we have. And the reason of- why is because, as David had said early on, uh, any type of values that we aspire to have in our work needs to mirror who we want to be as individuals. Right. And so, fitness is a big part of my life, um, and it's not as important as work. 
which is not as important as family, Mm -hmm. which is not as important as my faith. And so everything I'll do, that'll always be the foundational values. You know, I love that because it's very genuine then, because it's something you want in yourself. You're not creating a culture that you are not even willing to live out. Yes. I mean, you're wanting those same results for yourself. So I think that is important. So you have several ventures, several other, several places that you have um, created influence and um, leadership. So there's Sovereign's Capital. Yes. Is that your biggest focus right now? It is. Okay. So tell us what that is. So, um... Uh, David and I, you're talking about the time in uh, 2001, 2002, David and I had some money coming out of some prior ventures we're involved in. And uh, we spent that money pretty effectively for two and a half years. Uh, First year in business, we had 25 employees and 74 grand in revenue. It's not very sustainable. Mm. So we spent through the money we had pretty quickly and we came up with a business model we thought made sense. And after having done some pivots, we went out to Sand Hill Road, which is this road, mythical road that goes between, well, it's actually real, but it's this larger than life road between Palo Alto and Menlo Park. And we went up and down it to talk to the venture capital funds about what we were doing. And we would not talk about our faith on the first visit. And we didn't have fish on our business cards. But when it came around to a second or third visit, especially a site visit, uh, we wanted to make sure they knew who we were and our values. And we said, look, we're going to hire the best person for the job. This isn't going to be a holy huddle here. But God is the most important thing for us in our life. And we might do things like pray before board meetings. Here are our foundational values. It's who we are. If you're going to come on board and be a partner with us and be strapped to the mass with us, you need to know more about who we are. So we got a lot of blank stares. Hmm. And I really think that in a best case scenario, we were um, misunderstood. Worst case scenario, we're probably prejudiced against a little bit. We went 0 for 40 in venture raises. So as I shared- 0 for 40? 0 for 40. (laughs) How did all that lead to this ministry you now call Faith Driven Entrepreneur? What's the deal? Well, I'm going to answer that question because it's a very good one and it deserves an answer. But before we do that, there's this one gap that I need to fill in. So we went over for 40 and we came to understand. And then, as I explained before, through the grace of God, bandwidth did really well. Republic Wireless did really well. And so we said, you know what? Of course, faith-driven entrepreneurs can compete and win. But if institutional capital doesn't get that, maybe there should be a fund that invests in faith-driven entrepreneurs and encourages them. So Sovereign's Capital was birthed. That's what I do full-time. That's my job. Um, And we've made 39 investments. Uh, We have an office in Southeast Asia. Uh, We uh, uh, have a couple of three different offices here in the States, and it's been a great joy to invest and come alongside with financial capital into the very best faith-driven Christian businesses in America. And so that's what we do. Now, that did give birth to Faith Driven Entrepreneur, which is your question. And I'll tell you a little bit about that. But um, as I intro into that, the part there that's important is that the worst part by far of the, my job, my full-time job at Sovereign's Capital, is having to say no to 99 out of 100 companies that come to us for funding. Sure. So I got into this because I believe that transformation happens in the marketplace, and I believe that capital equals influence. And at a point in time where... I'd like to be a good encouragement to people. I'm a net discouragement to 99 out of 100. <laughs> so it's not just me, but me and that we've got a staff now of more than 10. And we're just, that's not good. And uh, so we decided we're going to start an initiative that would seek to serve and equip and encourage all faith-driven entrepreneurs, all people who share our Christian faith, 
And so we came up with this idea and it's a daily blog. Uh, it's a weekly podcast, which we've really enjoyed. And we've got a monthly newsletter. Mm -hmm. And then we have a list of resources where people can go deeper because we're just, those are just the three things we do. And again, we've got this day job, but we've had a lot of fun, particularly at the podcast. So tell people how they find the, all of those resources. Yes. Thank you for asking. So uh, faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. .org. You'll see daily blog. Many of the blogs, most of the blogs are guest blogs. Somebody who's writing about something really interesting about mm -hmm. identity or they're writing about a, uh, a ministry that they're involved with or how they process hiring people or firing people or things like that. And then you'll see... Um, You'll, uh, you'll see the podcast too. Excellent. Oh, it's a great resource for people. So we want, especially if they're in the entrepreneurial space, they're looking for some encouragement yes. along the way. It sounds like that's what's driving you because unfortunately you can't say yes to every investment opportunity that's coming along. Yes. Well, so what's your hope with faithdrivenentrepreneur.org is your hope that you'll help train some people to bring better presentations to you, better business plans to you? I mean, what is your no. hope to be able to raise up so you can say yes? <laughs> no. Two out no. of a hundred times? No. No, 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 no. We want people to understand first thing, you know, entrepreneurs, as is the case with all Christ followers, but I'd say particularly with entrepreneurs, have an identity problem. Uh, and I see this more in entrepreneurs. And by entrepreneurs, you also mean, you know, business owners of all types. So we're not just talking about the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world. We're talking about church planners, too. But the identity of an entrepreneur gets wrapped up in being this person that's growing at 20% month over month. And ultimately, along the way, they've missed the fact that they are, maybe they haven't missed, but maybe they're not as conscious about the fact that they are a beloved child of God. That's their identity. And God actually doesn't need them to be successful. The work's already done. And so when they can kind of steep in the fact that they're a beloved child of God, they can then look at their work, not as their identity, but as their way to come to the altar with all that they are, all their creative energy, all their innovation, and they can really make a big impact. But all too often, faith-driven entrepreneurs miss that, and their lives are characterized by having high levels of anxiety. That's the biggest warning sign that our identity is messed up when we are anxious about work. Now, we should always be concerned about our work. It's important stuff. We should react with urgency. But when our lives are characterized by anxiety, mm -hmm. that's a bad sign about our identity. It's also a warning sign that we're now in a position to have maybe even a negative witness. You know, I can talk about my faith and I can talk about our foundational values all I want. But if I get really stressed out and freaked out at work... That's not a good witness. But I'll tell you one of the things that is really impactful, I think, at Bandwidth is that David's best witness and testimony comes from when we, and we power Google's voice network. It's a pretty big deal. It's a pretty mm -hmm. big network. Mm -hmm. So when the red phone rings and our network is slow, if our network is slow, their network is slow, he responds to that with urgency because the situation calls for it. You really have a red phone? Uh, no, it's not, but it's a figurative red phone. Oh, but I you just follow wanted, me. You know, yeah, yeah. Come on, people, only people that watch Batman yeah. understand the red yes. phone. <laughs> okay. We're going back and we're going to make that phone red. Okay. Um, as it turns out, it rings on a whole bunch of different people's mobile phones. Okay. But um, uh, he reacts to that with urgency because the situation calls for it, but without anxiety. And it is that time that people say, I want what he has. Hmm. He can talk and pray at the employee picnic and a Christmas dinner and tell the foundational story when new employees come on. And that's all important. But it's those times when people said, he's got something I don't have and I mm -hmm. want that.
Wow. And that is the powerful witness. It really is. So um, there's another thing that we've learned about you. You are involved with Praxis. Yes. Tell our listeners a little bit about that. Oh, Praxis is great. Praxis is uh, the really a, a home for entrepreneurs that are trying to understand how they might um, have a redemptive edge to their business. Uh, it's birthed out of, uh, let me tell you about the leaders real quickly. It's co-founded by two guys, Josh Kwan and Dave Blanchard about seven years ago. And they were inspired by the story coming out of England in the 1840s, 1850s called the Clapham circle. Sure. So people like William Warble Forrest and others, and they got together and they said, what are the challenges of this day and age? And how might we go ahead and come up with innovative entrepreneurial solutions to these things? And out of that came things like the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, um, uh, schools, ministries, hospitals, and of course, the end of the slave trade. I mean, amazing things happened right. when they came to understand what is wrong with London society in the 1840s and said, we as Christ followers are going to be a part of bringing about God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And they did that and they did it super effectively. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Dave has uh, come to understand, of course, that entrepreneurs can continue to do that now, right? Uh, but there hadn't been a place to really accelerate the very best faith-driven entrepreneurs. And so he meant to set up an accelerator and, uh, and they've done that. Uh, they're based in New York, which is where most of their staff is. Josh remains in California, but... Dave has uh, led the organization very well in New York, and they've got a whole bunch of really, really cool programs for for-profit entrepreneurs. They have a great one for social entrepreneurs, um, and they also have one for uh, college students called the Praxis Academy, yeah. which is very hard to get into, and they're in the process of expanding it. It's very selective. Uh, they have more than 300 college students that go each summer through an intensive to un understand the biblical call for entrepreneurship and to tackle things like we were talking about on the program, identity and culture and uh, spiritual formation. You look at the, the Christ, you get exposed to Christ followers who are business owners all the time. Yes. You're, you're talking about the sovereign's capital. You're trying to find one out of 99, one out of a hundred that is worthy of you guys actually investing in. And, and you've, you've got faith driven entrepreneur because you want to push truth into those, those people that are, that are doing that. What, what are a couple of things that you need, that, that our listeners could really use to hear from you about if, if a Christ-centered entrepreneur, what are some of those key things that they really need to understand about that intersection of their faith and the work and running a business? Oh, it comes back to the identity. It says, who are you? And if your identity is, is this beloved child of God and you sit in awe of the gift that's been given to you of life, it changes everything. And everything will flow from that. So there, there isn't really any type of a compartmentalization. Uh, there's a, there's an earnest desire to thank the giver of this gift and that desire manifests itself through every aspect of who you are. So let's talk about, I know what you are doing through Sovereign's Capital and you've shared that. What do you want to say to the investment community as far as how others could help support Christian business owners? Oh gosh, that's a great question. Um, there's so much that the investment community can do. So I said something before, I think that's really important. And that is that capital equals influence. I am very encouraged by the deployment of chaplaincy mm -hmm. in Christian businesses. But one of the reasons why I'm really encouraged by it is because it's not only the deployment of chaplaincy in Christian owned businesses, it's the deployment of chaplaincy in the secular world too. 
Interestingly, the secular world is even embracing and adopting and scaling chaplaincy faster than the Christian world, which doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. So follow me on this. Just about every professional sports team in America has got a professional chaplain Mm -hmm. because they understand that their teams are pure play on human capital, provide vocational red meat for your employees to chew on, provide health benefits, provide for good finances and their spiritual care. Mm -hmm. And so as other investors can say, you know what? We invest in companies that have human capital and we can employ things like chaplaincy. Uh, that's a real powerful force. And for more, you're going to have to check out Henry Kaysner online, faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. Henry Kaysner, thanks for being on I Work For Him today. Thank you for having me. It's amazing. Faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your hosts, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. We're Christ followers. Our workplace, it's our mission field, but ultimately, I, I work, work For Him. him.